The Sydney Opera House acknowledges the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of Jubagali, the land on which the Opera House stands. We honour the long Gadigal history of gathering and storytelling and acknowledge the strength and resilience of First Nations people and communities past and present. Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. With growing momentum to enact the Uluru Statement from the Heart, is a meaningful change for First Nations people and our country finally really on the agenda? Host Jason Glanville was joined by Noreen Young and Nadi Simpson in a First Nations-led discussion at Antidote 2022. Building on whatever momentum we have right now, they ask, what needs to change in our politics, our society, our culture? And what needs to change in our sense of selves as a nation and as a community? This event was recorded live at the Sydney Opera House in September 2022. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming. My name's Jason Glanville. I'm Riradjuri, and I add to that acknowledgement, and um, I've been a resident on Gadigal uh, land for uh, over a decade now, um, uh, and I'm always um, humbled by the generosity of, um, and comfort that um, the Gadigal have provided to me and my family over that time. Um, uh, I'll allow you guys to introduce yourselves, Noreen. Thanks, brother. I'm Noreen Young. I'm a descendant of the Eora, although that's um, the name and how we describe ourselves is contested at the moment and um, there's a view that we probably should be um, referring to ourselves as a Starig, um, which, is an, in, which is interesting and, and we'll explore that in our family a bit. Um, so I'm on country um, I'd like to acknowledge, like Jason, um, the Gadigal um, for the extraordinary custodianship of this magnificent place. Um, I think, as you said, Jace, um, it's a welcoming place. Um, one of my great-grandfathers, Nut Jungren, jumped ship, um, was a seafarer from Sweden and lived down at the rocks um, and it just seems to me that because of the custodianship the Gadigal made, it's been this incredibly welcoming place, which I, I think we should talk about today. So I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal um, elders past and present and our ancestors who walk with us and will today. Thanks. Nadi? Yama, I'm Nadi Simpson. Um, I live in... I live in Bidjigal country. And uh, I always say about this place, especially along here, you know, when I went to uni, enrolled, when I went. (laughs) Sydney Uni, I walk from Stanmore down King Street, old track. Mm. Look at the uni, keep going down. Mm. Come Mm. down here and just spend time along here. Mm. And thinking about this place and the people that made it. Mm. And I always say that this place here, Gadigal, taught me how to be a proud Yolaroi woman. Mm. Because that country just showed me things that were important Mm. and things to think about and fed me. So when I was ready to go and spend time up in my homelands, I had a little framework there. 
because I was taught. I was taught along here, and much of the joy of my life has happened in this place. So you know, uh, big love always to this country here. Mm. Yeah, it's such a familiar story. I think the same. You know, I came as a terrified kid from the bush to go to uni, and uh, if it wasn't for the blackfellas, when I did turn up to campus, and you know, it was a time of great protest then, so we're often on the streets and not in the classroom. But um, uh, I think it made my longing for home different and more profound in lots of ways. But after more than a decade, I'm surprised it's 12 years, but it is 12 years I've been here now, um, and. Uh, it's as close to a second home, I think, as I'll um, ever have. And it's just interesting reflecting on the acknowledgement as well. I know um, we're all part of different versions of this conversation, but there's a really healthy conversation emerging now around, um, and Nadia, you spoke about it at the opening of the Sydney Festival this year, that, that sense of the performative nature of acknowledgements and, and sometimes even welcome to country and the disconnection of, you know, a, a, an auntie or an uncle on stage and then the, the real event happens. Um, mm. And I, I, f I feel like what's happening now through the leadership of in this place, the Gadigal, the renaming of places, the, mm. you know, the, the repositioning of culture um, in, a, mm. in a city like this where when I came here as a student, when we came here as students, it would have been un unimaginable. Mm. And so just rethinking all that protocol and, and really reasserting, cent centralising, privileging expertise and experience of First Nations people in all of those things, which is a bit of what we'll try and talk about today. So um, the theme of this session, as you would know, because you signed up for it, is where do we go from here? And uh, I'm sure that's a question we all ask ourselves in all different ways, um, in different aspects of our life. But this particular quote uh, comes from the title of the final book of Martin Luther King Jr., which he wrote in 1967, um, a year... Um, um, just, just a year before he was assassinated. Um, but also, coincidentally, he wrote the book in 1967 after a year of, after 10 years of the civil rights movement. He took himself away overseas to reflect um, on this question of, of um, where do we go from here? Um, and part of his question was, do we go to community or do we go to chaos? That same decade of the building of the civil rights movement coincided with a decade of work, although we know it was decades and decades of work. But really, this sort of recognised decade of extraordinary change and Aboriginal-led um, provocation and change in Australia that led to, in 1967, the same year that his book was published, um, the 1967 referendum, which, um, as I'm sure uh, many people know, was the most successful referendum in Australian history. Um, and uh, it did two things. It um, allowed us to be counted in the census for the first time. Uh, and it um, gave the Commonwealth Government the power to make laws on our behalf. Um, uh, it didn't prescribe that those laws needed to be positive or in our best interests, but it did give them the authority to make laws on our behalf. And I think it's interesting to reflect uh, in the, the conversation. Um, so we don't get to hang out like this, so just excuse us if we have a yarn with you guys in the room. But um, uh, really to reflect on the moment of time that we're, that we're in now uh, in the lead up to this next, um, what people hope is a yes vote, another change in the Australian Constitution, 
We know that our constitution is one of the hardest in the world to change. Um, I think we've had 19 referenda, 44 questions have been asked and only eight um, changes have been made. That, that change in 67 being the most successful, but not almost 91% of Australians voted yes. The posters at the time, you might remember um, that, that decade of leadership, which included things like um, uh, the Wavehill walk-off and the Dr Perkins and a bunch of Sydney Uni students occupying the Maury pool and, you know, the, the Freedom Rides, all sorts of really formative parts of our, the recent history of this country, all led by Aboriginal people who up until 1967 effectively weren't considered um, much more than flora and fauna still, although in some states um, status was, was different in the lead up to that. Um, and so um, thinking about um, the request that has come, that has led to this current referendum, which is um, really driven by the very recent history of five or six years ago of the, the Uluru Statement uh, from the heart. But acknowledging, as we've done in conversations in the lead up to today, particularly yesterday, um, there's a long history that, that brings us to, to this point, to any of these points in history, and um, our acknowledgements are as much about um, again, Nadi, as you, as you talked about it at the opening of the Sydney Festival, it's, it's our becoming, our belonging, our response to the reciprocity we have as blackfellas to honour everything and everyone that's come before us, um, whether we've had lineal, personal, um, cultural contact with them or not. We owe, we owe all of these pioneers a lot. And so a lot of what we will try and do in this very short time today, uh, and I've already taken up too much of it, is, is, is to talk about how to honour those legacies and to tell the longer truth of the, the journey that's, that's taken us to get here. And um, uh, this referendum question will be about a voice to parliament, an Indigenous voice to parliament. And Nadia, I wanted to start with you um, and reflect on, I think it's, um, if it's not the final words, among the final words of the Uluru Statement, which is in, in 67 we were counted in, in this referendum, we want to be heard. Do you think there's a risk that if the voice gets up, we might not be heard? And and what's what's as, you know you're one of our great storytellers. How, how, what, what's what's the art of getting Australians to listen properly? Listen. Ooh, it's not one conversation would be my first response. In my mind's eye, I can see just like that blue light up there, blue and red light. If you imagine all they're all little conversations that are happening with different types of people gathering towards like-minded souls speaking about the stuff they want to talk about. A lot of different yarns is not a problem. We're actually experts at that. We know how to do that. Mm. And weaving, we know how to weave those yarns together. So the diversity in response, from my point of view, is a good thing because we have the people with the skill and the kindness and the intelligence to weave all those words and thoughts and concerns and hopes together to say, this is what we want to yarn to you about. This is where we think we can go together. So 
I think this kind of channel, I'm worried about everybody wanting to have a plan that engages in an endpoint like that mm. because people aren't like that. Mm. Mm. Needs to be like this. Well, like this. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. We've got to remember that mm. in this debate where it can get really mm. um, kind of cerebral and uh, uh, structured and what do you call it, KPI something, I don't know, I don't have a proper job, that stuff. <laughs> Excel, there, that's like my worst nightmare, yeah. Excel. Where, where it can yeah. get structured mm. in a way that this fella here mm. and this fella here is a long way behind the yarn mm. because actually we are champions of that mm. and you fellas are too. Mm. Sometimes you just need to be encouraged to be more that, you know. So, um, and the one thing I do know is that there's always conversations and always songs and always stories and always the, the yarn is happening mm. in many different ways. Mm. So if you can't hear that they're blocked, mm. that's probably uh, the plea I have. Listen with your whole body, not just your mind, maybe. Easy to say, you know, much harder to do. Yeah, but so critical though, and it also speaks to timing too, I think, because there's this drive to get it done in a particular way in this, in this first yeah. period of a new government and I think that, that, that risks all, all that you're talking about. How do you unplug the years of a nation who have been taught not to listen very well. And, and even if there is, people have clearly listened to the Uluru Statement, but have they, have they heard the plea? Mm. Have they heard the work that sits mm. behind it? Mm. Um, uh, and also I, I, I think the, the time and space to, to broaden out, to capture the conversations that we know are happening in mm. communities. Um, and I'm sure that's part of the next phase mm. of the work. It's just been a bit hard to see at the moment. Um, and I, I want to come back to the role of um, artists in that conversation. Mm, mm. As you were saying, Nadi, so much of this is sort of at the moment, um, as it maybe needs to be, is sort of an intellectual exercise amongst the political class and it isn't really as dispersed as it needs to be. Um, and also I think what's interesting about what's happening at the moment is it's, there's a there's continual references to it, this conversation having started very recently and, of course, yeah. it's a very old conversation. Mm. And speaking of, of uh, old conversations in, uh, and their impact in the moment, Noreen, um, you were just part of a... Uh, off the back of the Employment Summit, you were part of a piece of work led predominantly by Aboriginal women in the labour movement. Congratulations on that. But that comes from... from and we had a shared a very emotional story this week about the connection that has... I'm happy to share it the again. ...parts of our history. But yeah. I, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a very recent concrete example of when people do listen, when the yeah. system is prepared to respond yeah. and, and, to, and to shift power yeah. and provide space, good things can happen. So do you want to tell us that story? Um, yeah, I'd love to. And, uh, and it goes to the relational stuff between us and... Um, in, in my own particular case, my own mixed heritage and 
I think people don't know a lot of this stuff about us, so about blackfellas. So um, I was at... Uh, so the job summit was on Thursday and Friday the week before last and I was at... And, and the government, the different ministers held a whole lot of roundtables and I got an invitation. I'm an employment um, practitioner and professor and... I got um, an invitation to the one that was held by the Minister for Indigenous Affairs and, Sen and Senator McCarthy was going to be there and Senator Dodson and it was about, it said, remote jobs program and I knew that that was going to be the focus um, for uh, First Nations people, is how they're calling us now, um, at the job summit. And I was a bit worried. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I, I, I don't know if people understand this, but um, for the last, I don't know, eight years since Tony Abbott was the minister, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in remote communities have been working for no pay. And I, I think what the relational piece here is, is that we held, as Jason said, for the very first time a First Nations Employment Alliance um, pre-job summit and it was um, Jambana, where I work, the ACTU, Reconciliation Australia and PwC's Indigenous Consulting and obviously the focus for the ACTU was the CDP program, as we call it, because they formed a First Nations Workers' Alliance about eight years ago and have been organising around that since then. And what I don't think this country realises in all the narrative about sit-down money and jobs for blacks and putting blackfellas into employment that um, people like Tony Abbott and Nigel Scullion and A Current Affair like to narrate about is that... Aboriginal stockmen in the Territory, in the Northern Territory, were employed by the pastoralists, by Lord Vesty from the famous song. Um, and what the Wave Hill walk-off was actually about is that their mob went on strike for eight years. And it wasn't just about land rights, it was about equal pay. So they were paid legally, like women, women earn two-thirds of a man's wage legally in Australia until the late 60s, Aboriginal people could legally be paid less. And those stock people, because there were some women, there weren't just men, on those huge holdings in the Northern Territory were paid less. So they went on strike for eight years to, be, to have equal pay. And the ACTU ran a case in, in the old Arbitration Commission for equal pay and they got it and they were awarded equal pay. And you'll be interested to know, I think Bob Hawke was the advocate when he was the industrial advocate for the ACTU and, it's, and the decision in that matter, if you're a junkie for these things, um, is the most interesting thing because it goes to the relationality and the best bits of what um, settlers brought to this country who had come from 
oppressed places. So the notions of trade unionism and fair pay and equal pay for equal work, even though Aboriginal people and women didn't get it till later, we were still better off, and my analysis would say, within that fair system where we had the harvester judgment and the basic wage, right? So a man, a white man, had to earn enough to feed and clothe his family women and Aboriginal people were worse off in that. But then there were the equal pay cases. So, But the response of the employers who were the pastoralists was not to pay it, to pay equal pay, it was to sack them all. So all those people who had worked and built that industry up for the British Empire were then sacked and that's what led to sit-down money. So... That was all good and there were community... In the 70s, Malcolm Fraser, to his credit, introduced the Community Development Employment Program. But then when Tony Abbott became the Minister for Indigenous Affairs, he stopped it and it became the Community Development Program and mob were paid... Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander were paid social security. They were not paid wages or super, right? So that, to me is A, the relational bit, but B, the bit that where in the Constitution we don't have control over our own affairs, you can suspend the Race Discrimination Act like they did in the Northern Territory intervention and in this instance. So people in this country were not paid. That just is extraordinary to me, just extraordinary. And... People don't know about that site. And not just any people, the people whose land was taken... The people whose land, the very... ..to allow the work to happen. <laughs> right? It was their land. And then, anyway. So we go to this meeting last, the Tuesday before last, and there's those three ministers and they announce that and and it was like... I they So it was announced by Minister Burney that... Stroke of a pen and that's all changing and those people will now be paid, they will be proper jobs um, led by community and um, Senator Dodson said at the end, and I I don't know if I'm meant to repeat this but I'm going to, (laughs) Senator Dodson said this is the beginning of the unfinished business, I'm going to cry again, of the Wave Hill walk-off. And that is the relational bit around the labour movement, its industrial wing, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, Sally McManus made us, the president of the ACTU, made a speech at our um, Indigenous-led forum on the Monday and said, really, the story of the relationship between the trade union movement and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is actually the story of this place. Mm. And she owned it and said, we've been good and we've been shit, and that is absolutely true. And to me, this is the promise of the voice to parliament. Yeah, thank you for that. It it is a really um, interesting piece of history, I think, and it's worth going into that level of detail, so thank you for that, because it goes goes to the question of um, unplugging Australia's ears, I think, because that's that's almost a 60-year narrative. That's a 60-year journey, right? And think about the mob who have been lost along the way and the families who uh, 
framed as the problem, communities who are framed as the problem because of levels of disadvantage, who are never given access to just the basic yep. rights of getting um, a weekly wage and being able to buy bread, milk and butter for your, for your kids. And so I think that really does for me, it, it goes to two things, that how long it takes to achieve genuine, sustained, transformational change in this country, particularly when it comes to first issues of First Nations people, um, and uh, the work it takes to unplug people's ears and not just to get them to listen but to get them to act in, in response to that. Um, Nadi, do you think, and again, I mean, your experience as an Aboriginal woman but leaning on you as an artist, do you think... I think there's a lot of expectation. You know, this is a headline for a new government and it's exciting for a lot of people. But do you think and the, the new form of the parliament is interesting in, in lots of ways and there's lots of those members of the new parliament floating around this festival. Um, Malcolm Turnbull's somewhere in one of the rooms next door. We're keen for him to come and tell us whether he's on our side or not today, but maybe Cara Middleton, who's hosting that session, will ask him that question. But... Um, um, well, he will. She will if, if she listens to you, Jason. Well, yes, she did yeah. get a text. But yeah. um, <laughs> the, um, um, do you and the people that you're... We were talking before about the, the, the post-COVID freedom for the artist, artist community now to make work and to, to, to talk about things. Are, are people listening differently now? Do you think this new or, or so-called new political climate... Are, are, are the nation's ears more open? Well, as for you fellas, it's good to see people here. Mm, it's great. And then actually, you know, yeah, the yarn sits in our lap, but its success lies with you and who you talk to and who you engage with and who you can infect in a beautiful way. Mindful that we've come off lockdown and disease and new wave of that now. And I have faith in people. Mm. I can know if we can do it. Mm. And we bloody well should. And we will be judged by what happens now. I believe in us. And, you know, when all these yarns, thinking, talking, what do I know? I write and sing. What, what good is that? It can make people feel good about these big things, maybe. Or it can make people feel scared about these big things. Mm. But, you know, thinking, talking about, um, you know, uh, Dr Martin Luther King and the Freedom Rides and, you know, my dad was at the pool in Walgett. When they went there, he was 13, I ask, I ask him about it, you know, and he doesn't talk much. What happened when that bus came in? No, I didn't go down there. I said, why not? You know, here's me sitting in Sydney thinking, you were at the point of this historical wave coming through a town that was going to, you know, actually be bowled over. Did you go down the pool? No, I didn't go down there. Why not? No. I didn't know about that business. The wave crashed, mm. the bus continued. Mm. 
And he was placed in that moment in history. Mm. And here we sit now talking about this. Mm. And so that yarn for him about being not, not knowing what it was that was happening on his doorstep and not wanting to engage, I can actually then write the next verse to that. Mm. And that story continues, you know. That's the power I see as an, as, uh, an artist or creative person that, you know, you're always looking for material and we make it up, but sometimes it's actually, it's writing you, you know. Mm. It's writing you into the script. And so the, uh, the thing that I feel about this, all that string, you know, coming through Simpson family, sitting here looking at you, how amazing to think, you know, uh, my dad is a 13-year-old not going to the pool in Walgett. That story includes you right now. You're in that story. This is the pool. It's the other entrance. Mm. And we're all there mm. waiting for those old, you know, those old, old school mm. turnstiles. <laughs> 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 we're standing there together. Mm. Mm. He was scared to go down there because, you mm. know, whitefellas in town mm. means trouble. Mm. Now we're all this beautiful little diverse little line mm. at, the, uh, at the back entrance. Mm. That's how I think about it, you know. And, you know, when I look, look at what all that mob trying to do and have this like, speak to these huge buildings and structures and uh, whatever they are, parliamentary... Systems. Systems. And, but the blackfellas who are involved in that, I know for a fact, want to uplift me. Because mm. mm. that's how we're taught, eh? Mm. And in turn, I want to uplift, mm. of course, my own mob. Mm. But everyone that turns up to things like this, you know? So uh, I get very excited about seeing this moment as part of a story mm. that we're actually all active authors of. Mm. That's the challenge, I think, for us as Australians. We can write this. Mm. Uh, we need to listen, we need to feel, and the feeling thing is hard because you've got to be vulnerable and open and all that stuff. But we can do it. I think, you know, Noreen, you finished off by talking about what you sensed was part of the hope of uh, the, this, this referendum and, um, you know, Nadia, I love that idea of us you know, going through the turnstile and the question is what do we come out the other end of the turnstile looking like as a country and... You, we have to expect and hope beyond hope that it's different to what it was even back when the the freedom rides were happening because while the experience of racism that kept your dad from going to the pool mm. uh, isn't always as overt in cities and towns as it was then, we know that it's ever-present um, and we know that it's still killing our our people and so um, this this joint effort to a new version of what's possible in Australia, I think, you know, referenda are as much about, although in Australia, that I was going to say they're about hope, actually the only ones that are about hope are the blackfella ones. Mm. <laughs> all, all the other ones are about how much privileges senators get and how to distribute tax, but mm. mostly. 
but the 67 referendum was absolutely about hope. Mm. And people still think it was about voting rights or, or the conferring of particular rights. It wasn't, actually. It, it was, it, as the castle would say, it was about the vibe, right? <laughs> and a lot of this is the same too. I mean, the, we, we don't get um, what we get from this a yes vote and hopefully an overwhelming yes vote is the permission to think about the form and structure of a voice to parliament. None of that's worked out yet um, and um, the work's about to start on that and some of the questions that are coming through about how do people in this room, non-Indigenous people in this room and across the country um, be good allies in that. Because um, uh, I think the, the other challenge that, that I've noticed in this is and whether, whether or not we've created it for ourselves, but up until now it feels like the work of winning this referendum sits with us. Mm, mm, mm. And absolutely the voices leading this conversation should be First Nations voices. Mm. But the practical point is we can't win it without the 97% of Australians who aren't First Nations people. We just can't mm. because we need an overwhelming vote. Um, uh, and the, the questions that are coming through, the early questions are really about um, to, to expand on what you've both already talked about, but how do non-Indigenous Australians, outside of turning up at the turnstile and ticking the yes box, um, what is the work of non-Indigenous Australians? How do they do that without offending culture and First Nations people? How do we do it together, I guess, is, is the, a very strong theme that's coming through in these questions. Noreen? Well, Jason and I had a bit of a phone conversation about um, what we'd say yesterday, and and to go to um, uh, all of that and and things that Nadi said, I see this period as as hopeful and an opportunity to reset the place, not just for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but for all of us, and and many of us represent, a, you know, a variety of of heritages of the place, many black fellas, and so do you. And it's, as Nadi said, it's gratifying, it's lovely that you're here, right? And if you're here, you must be interested. And I've heard, um, and this is the reset, right? So um, where our generosity and how we operate as people is I would like to see that reset where this place, you call it Australia, emulates the, the generosity of our people and our community. Not, I got pummeled on Twitter for saying that by some mob um, who said... That's not unusual. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, this group's pretty odd, but <laughs> they say, they said, no, um, we don't have to share our culture. You're right. Um, the elders give so much and are so generous. Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. I don't... I'm not saying that, you know, stuff about, oh, your wisdom and we all want to learn and all of that stuff. What I'm saying is is that the generosity and reciprocity and relationality of how we operate needs to be the reset instead of the meanness, right, which I think came from the nature of the coloniser and you only have to look at Twitter over the last couple of days, which has been so fun and so excellent, Irish Twitter, black Twitter, <laughs> Scottish Twitter, Welsh Twitter, <laughs> Indian <laughs> Twitter, Chinese Twitter, has become this unified thing against the meanness of the coloniser. And I was thinking about, I've heard the PM say a couple of times around this, 
galvanising people of goodwill, right? Now, I, I know exactly where the PM got that from because my husband also worked from, for Tommy Wren, um, who was a person of extraordinary analysis and generosity and that people of goodwill thing evidently comes from a papal message or encyclical of that nice pope who tried to change things before the one who got murdered, that dude. Um, so I think deep, we can... Deep history here. You know what I mean. I, so I think we can draw on, as Nadi says, everything of all of you and all of us and how we want to see this place, reset it, draw on the generosity and the goodwill of everyone to reset it. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, and that very much goes to that there's this very strong thread, not surprisingly, in the questions. And as you've both said, you're all here because um, you're interested um, and the questions reflect a desire to be more than interested but to be engaged and useful but Nadia, there's a strong theme about how do we do that without offending? How do we do that without getting in the way? We, we acknowledge this is a first, this is first Australians' business. I mean, in fact, what you've both said, it's all of our business. Um, uh, there's there's a particular question here that says, what's the single thing? That's, I'm going to I'm going to edit that question. I hope you don't mind. What's the single thing outside of voting yes um, that non-Indigenous people can do to make a significant Change and I'll give you complete license to name five things if you want. Uh. But, um, I think I think I think it goes to the heart of the challenge of, you know, we, we change the constitution so infrequently, and that should absolutely be the case. It's the rule book. Um, these changes mean more over time than they do in the moment, beyond the the hope of the moment. Um, and I just I don't think. In this campaign, and maybe it's not time yet, but I know historically in campaigns that I've been involved in, we've never been very good at saying to non-Indigenous allies, here's, here's the work of the 97% and we just take more and mm. more on ourselves. Yeah. So how would you respond to what's, yeah. what's the work to be done for non-Indigenous people? Yeah, that's a really, uh, you know, I think with respect, this is where it's tricky, right? Because for it to be done uh, in a way that is empowering and recognisable and safe, maybe, to us, it's a series of ongoing things through a lifetime. Mm. It's not one or even five. And that shit is scary. What I think we're asking for what a reset is. <laughs> but uh, that's also a good thing that, uh, you know, I'm the wrong person to ask this question to, Jace, because what I think I am interested in and my family may be interested in and my community might be on board uh, for being part of is a genuine relationship that is ongoing, that is not about things, that has give and take um, as a constant through the days we breathe and walk on country. Mm. 
That's a big ask. Mm. But actually that's the way we get around. Mm. And that is what makes us special mm. because we operate in those ways. That's how meaning is created, to me anyway. Um, I wish I had a one-point answer, but I don't think it's... I don't think it's... I don't think the question can be answered that way. Yeah, I think I, sh I, should, I should note that the person says you beautifully answered their question, so don't feel too bad about that. But um, uh, I, I, I think it, it, it is the perfect answer off the back of... And I don't want to... I don't want to tread back onto your reset comments, Noreen, because it's, it's just so true. We really should just ponder that idea. That what, what does that reset look like? What does the... Because, you know, as, as, as Aboriginal people in, with different experiences around the place and acknowledging that the three of us come with, you know, clearly some shared ambition for this thing but quite different ways of, of engaging with it and thinking about it and there should never be an expectation that, um, you know, um, three black fellows would ever <laughs> think or feel the same way about anything and nor, and nor should No, nor, nor should nor, they. Nor should we. But the other thing that's true about the cut and thrust of, of the, the real politic of, of being um, Aboriginal in this country, and, you know, it's still a political act to wake up Aboriginal in this country, to walk, mm. to drive, to be Aboriginal in this country is a political act, whether you like it or not. And you don't have to be a political actor to be, to be part of that play. Uh, it's, it's done to you whether you like it or not. And the truth of that is that we're used to the chaos. We're used to the chaos and, the, you know, Dr King's question about do we head that, at that intersection between economic justice and racial equity, you know, is that, does that intersection take us smoothly to community or does, is it a car crash of chaos? Mm -hmm. And the truth of the history of this country is it's been a, it's been a car crash necessarily. Mm -hmm. And um, because those, that... This is a terrible analogy, but um, because we've been in, we're, we're the ones in the cars, not always, we haven't been driving it, but we're the ones who have been subjected to the violence of that chaos. Mm. We're used to responding to it with the, mm. the adaptation and the, the resilience, which gets overworked. Creativity. Used, but the creativity, the adaptation, yeah. the, you know, I mean, you don't get to be there, we don't get to be con connected to the oldest continuous living culture on the planet by accident. That, that inherent, Adapt capacity and culture of adaptation and creativity and reinvention uh, is critical to who we are and we've had to do so much more of that in the last 230 years as opposed to the 80,000 years um, prior to that. Um, and I, I, wonder, I wonder if part of the hesitation for good people, people of goodwill, who want to do more than just vote yes, is the fear of that chaos, the fear of that that tumult, that 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 the change. How, how do we how do we share as much as we want to share the generosity and wisdom? How do we share the capacity to manage that change? How do we what's how, how do we exchange those tools with people who don't in their day to day lives and you know thank goodness for that mm. have to deal with that level of chaos and change? And and I don't think that there's very few people who, non-Aboriginal people, who have experience of anything. And, and easy, I mean, my experience as a white passing 
person is is very different to other people's, right? So, but I think it's really interesting. Obviously, I don't have, you know, that kind of um, appearance-based, my experience isn't that appearance-based racism, but I come from a family where some people do, Mm. right? So it's this bizarre experience. I was going to say it's so interesting to think about Dr King and um, he's talking about the our uh, referendum in that con- in the context of Dr King, because really what you can do, he was so good at mobilising, mm. right? And the African American experience of organising um, is extraordinary, and bringing allies in. And I reckon what you can do is I've been involved in a lot of campaigns in my time and they're hard and they're boring, mm. right? So the real work is letterboxing and uh, it'll be phone banking, I would say, in this case. Um, it'll be supporting the talks in your workplace because wherever you work, especially corporate Australia, is wanting to be so involved in it. And that's an interesting development even since Dr King's day of that kind of civil rights movement organising. But I think um, if you look at marriage equality, um, that was, that, you know, up front was Magda and all the LGBTQ plus people, as it should have been, but there was an army of... My favourite person that emerged during that period was Jeff the Plumber. Remember Jeff the Plumber who went on Q&A and said, my son, I follow him on Twitter, we're really good mates. Um, (laughs) He said, one of my children can get married and the other can't. And he was... And so I think we need all of you people of goodwill to be involved in the campaign, as boring as that may be, to be talking to, like... um, in the Irish marriage equality th- campaign, their thing was getting LGBTIQ people to talk to relatives mm. and say, but this is me you're talking about. So talking to people in community, not that there's that many blackfellas who are going to walk around, I know, pimple and say this is me, <laughs> um, but, you know, because you get chased out of the place anyway. Well, not me, but, yeah. Anyway... Um, but it's that stuff about the campaign will need that kind of mass mobilisation, I suppose, like Dr King um, utilised so incredibly well. Yeah, and I guess and the other, the other tip, I guess, is not to wait to be invited. Mm. It's your constitution, it's our constitution, it's your constitution too if you're non-Indigenous. Um, so create the space, fight the conversation. If... Um, one of the questions here is how, which is the perennial question of how do you, people engage more directly and respectfully with local mm. traditional owners, with culture with, in the places where they live. I think the answer to that is it's so much more, so much easier now than it ever was yeah. before. Yeah. Just as simple, simple as the local library have yeah. more resources. But, yeah. you know, the, um, uh, any elders group love a yarn and a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. You know, the land councils have... Yeah. Um, can, uh, are geared up to give advice and, and support. I guess um, avoid the f- avoid the fear of offending, um, because if you enter with genuine goodwill and care, you're not you're not going to offend. It's more offensive, I think, to sit back and not participate um, because of the fear um, um, of offending. Um, mm. uh, we are moving in, into question time, and I want to at least try to be a, um, a good host. And there's there's a question here that I think is really interesting. Um, and it doesn't detract us too much, but we were 
um, all of us discussing yesterday on the phone quickly, um, uh, laughing at a, at a few things, but um, I have to always remind myself the empty vessel theory that to assume... Um, I've, I always assume that because we live it and we hear it all the time, that other Australians know, you know, a lot more than they do. And, and yeah. not, not to... I'm sure this is a yeah. highly engaged and educated... Uh, room full of people, but the question the question here is, um, what's and so I, I take for granted people's level of knowledge and awareness and preparedness to engage. So, what's the one thing that people tend to forget in these conversations? What do we, what's important to remind people about as they walk into this work, Nadi? I think when I'm listening and thinking about this, and it's a difficult thing. People hold the key, you know. People to people, for me, is the key. The interaction and exchange and the connection you can have with a person gives you a whole lot of emotive um, context that you won't get if you source it in another way. And that's the beauty of it, but it's also the danger of it because that's why, you know, people say, well, I don't want to offend. Mm. So how can I do that without talking to a person? You know, I'm being facetious. Guaranteed, you find someone who will sit down and have a yarn with you. It will make you tingle from, mm, mm. because I think our mob are very good at speaking our truth that includes you. Mm. Our story is soaked with you in good ways and bad ways, and we look after the people we tell stories to because that's our currency, you know. So, you know, something that I am... Uh, I think is really important. Interaction with another person. Actually, we can live the constitutional change. We can practise it before we even get to go and vote. Mm. We can do it person to person on a singular level. And, you know, that I think is a beautiful thing, a, a challenging thing, but don't worry, we've got you, you know? Yeah, and I guess part of the message, again, to what you've both been saying, but particularly around the, the decade up to 67, you know, people, it was church halls and it was town yeah. halls and it was people's yeah. living rooms and the meeting yeah. went ahead whether there was one person there or not. Mm. Sometimes the mob were talking to each other. Mm. To, and you know, they got a chance to refine their messages because no one showed up, but they they still mm. held the meeting. I think that's part of, you know, the, the intent is as important as the outcome. I think. Um, and there's a, a a great question, Lorraine, that comes back to something you were saying. It, but um, uh, is there anything that well-meaning allies tend to do but may not realise is problematic and unhelpful? Oh. Don't start a Twitter war. <laughs> I had someone who is a well-meaning ally say to me about six months ago, my daughter wants to work with Aboriginal people. And I'm so immersed in it because I work in an Indigenous institute in um, a university and the very privileged beneficiary of the work of distinguished professor, professor Larissa Berent around um, Indigenous-led research 
um, and, and of course, Indigenous-led policy that I don't think I handled it very well. <laughs> um, and, and I'm so immersed in the politics of Indigenous-led all the time that I, I kind of, I think I was, as you say, Jason, not understanding of that people just don't know, right? So people who aren't around us don't know that stuff. And so I, I think I said something like, um, well, there's just not room for her, right? <laughs> something classic, Naz, um, and tactless. And then I said to my sister later, who's equally as tactless, you know her, um, uh, probably more tactless, um, uh, because we're Scots and Swedes as well as blackfellas and, you know, there's a lot of genetic mixing of kind of directness. Um, and she said, well, why didn't you say why? And I thought that is the... It's, that would have been the proper response, right? So... Um, and I don't... I often... I've been really contemplating this lately because I'm advocating for someone in a racism matter at the moment, which I haven't done for a long time. And, and we do live in a parallel universe, right? Our world <laughs> is Blackfellow world and, and it is a parallel universe. And, you know, the, the things we talk about and the way we view the world is a different world, right? And so don't discount that. Don't discount the trauma and frustration of living in this place with that racism all day, every day, and people might respond to you in a way that's tactless. Yeah. Or direct, however you want to <laughs> frame it. Yeah, and sometimes that might be a genetic mix <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> it might just be a really tired black fellow who's not <laughs> at the time. Um, we are getting uh, close to time. Um, uh, I was really hoping we'd run out of questions and could make Nadi sing, but that's not going to happen <laughs> today. Uh, but I, I opened up with a, a bit of a clumsy, rushed introduction about um, this, I think, very exciting pushback against performative acknowledgements to country and the, the, the misplacement of culture, particularly in, in big events. And there's a question here which I'll, I'll um, kick to you, Nadi, which is... Uh, are there more uh, practical ways to acknowledge First Nations culture than the current form of acknowledgement to country? Wow. Well, it's actually, it's really interesting that's come up here because the sort of the birth of the acknowledgement of country happened here with Rhoda. Yeah. And so, like, you know, boomerang style, come back around. I think that the question is wonderful that it's being answered because it means we're looking past where we are maybe, you know? Uh I think I encourage people to go and make meaningful, deep connections with the places they work and live on yeah. and enjoy that place. Mm. And that's an acknowledgement. You don't mm. need stage lights and clock counting you down. Uh, you can do that in your own way. Mm. And the country will know that you're doing it, which is probably the most important thing. Mm. It'll know by the way, you know... I'm being arty-farty here, but your footsteps will change. Your relationship to that place will uh, be something that is good for it as well as good for you. Mm. And I think if we're all doing that, 
there's we've got a little bit of space to have. It's okay that if all we have are kind of a... It's not okay. If we're all doing... If we're all connecting to country in a meaningful way without uh, uh, sort of the, the insistence of an ownership and allowing different people to have different rights to the place that you're walking on and loving up and sharing that love for, then the pressure isn't on. We pay our respects to, you know, elders past and present, emerging elders, all this stuff. We, that then diffuses the weight because that's the only time you hear it, mm. you know? And, you know, just while we're on it, I thought about this when you first spoke. This all, before we begin, before we begin, we paint. No, not mm. before. No, we, this isn't the business we need to do before we start the thing we actually want to do. So, and you can, you can do that by loving those places and caring for those places and sharing that love and allowing the the agency and sovereignty of the of the people that belong there to be part of your concept of those places. And I, I reckon, you know, that's a good thing to start happening if we can all work out our own acknowledgement of country that's not performative, that can be private. Do you think, though, that people understand what we're doing when we're acknowledging country? I don't... I don't think people do and don't... Um, you all live on country. It was like Jason years ago. Remember the tantrums I used to throw about when people would say they were going to Gama, uh, you know, because of that to romantic... To be on country. To be, on yeah. country, to mm. be you know, that romantic You're notion. You're always on country. Of, and we, you live in suburbs called Gaimir mm. and Woolaware and... You know, well, that I come from the show, I can't you tell, but like, you know, you care away. Do you know what I mean? You live, we all live on country, and our relationship with country, um, it, it's not about acknowledging Aboriginal people, it's about acknowledging country mm. and the, our relationship, our reciprocal and relational relationship with mm. country. And We've always said in response to that question, really don't bring that stuff into this politic of our tradition of acknowledging country because walk, chew gum. We've always said it but we've also said that that means so much to us because you're not just acknowledging elders past and present, you're acknowledging that it's our relationship with country that you're acknowledging and your own relationship with country. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to finish and there's a very angry red clock now screaming at me. But um, I think, you know, not to be try and be too cute about it, but it is, you know, the, the promise of the voice for us is that is that we'll have a voice in a different kind of way. But the invitation to everybody else is, is to listen and to hear and to respond. And I think it's the same thing in the way that, you know, the, the invitation to engage more deeply so things like acknowledgement aren't performative or, mm. or an add-on, but they're a genuine part of how we think about this next reset of the national narrative. Um, uh, can you please uh, thank Nadia and Noreen? And our brother Jason Glanville. 
Watch talks from Antidote 2022 on Stream, the streaming platform from the Sydney Opera House. Register for free now and start watching at stream.sydneyoperahouse.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with more ideas at the house.